Are you a senior level executive with a growth mindset, ready to grasp the new opportunities and solve the issues that are holding you back? If so, welcome to our podcast, Into the C-Suite with Jim Casino, founder and CEO of C-Suite Advisors. With personal experience as a CEO of more than 10 companies and 15 boards of directors, Jim shares his insights into optimal leadership philosophies, practices, and ways to accelerate growth and elevate your company value. Now, on to the show. We are ready for a look into the C-suite with your host, Jim Casino. Jim is the founder and CEO of C-Suite Advisors, a boutique management consultancy that taps the expertise of highly experienced senior consultants who know the C-Suite because they have worked there. Their best-in-class advice helps startups and middle market companies solve their toughest challenges and go on to thrive. Jim's guest this episode is a crisis management legend and a C-Suite senior advisor. Jim, tell us more about Jim Burke. Thanks so much, Patrice. You know, I'm really excited about introducing Jim Burke to our audience today. Uh, Jim is, as you mentioned, a senior advisor with C-Suite Advisors. And even more important than that, he is the founder and CEO of Burke Capital. Burke Capital is a Bay Area management consultancy that specializes in capital structuring, governance, crisis management, and turnarounds. He's really a legend. Uh, I can almost hear you smiling, Jim, but he really is a legend when it comes to crisis management. He invented the out-of-court bankruptcy, which is today an industry standard throughout the turnaround world, and it saved dozens and dozens of companies over the years uh, that he's been in business. In addition to that, he's a super nice guy, and we're honored to have him with uh, with us in the C-Suite Collective. Welcome, Jim. Good to have you with us. Well, Thanks, Jim Casino. It's uh, great to be part of the team, and I'm happy for this opportunity. Super. Well, we'll just jump right in. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your business, how long it's been around, how you evolved in the business. We'd love to hear that. You know, I'm kind of embarrassed to talk about how long we've been around. We've been around, let's say, for decades, but it, it easily goes back into the 90s. And during that time, we've worked with dozens and dozens of companies that are in some kind of a financial jam, which means they are out of cash, suffering financial losses. Maybe they have creditor problems. But, you know, we also work with companies that just need some a financial lift or rebooting or some uh, steering in the right direction. So a little bit of everything, but we, we specialize in severe financial problems. Now, you started your career in the banking world. I know you've been CEO of a number of companies and a lot of board roles and many interim CFO kind of assignments as well as CEO. But tell us a little bit about your career trajectory uh, before you got to uh, Burke Capital and then since that time. So originally, I graduated from University of Virginia, uh, very proud to say and moved to California shortly thereafter. Started a, a career in commercial banking with some of the biggest banks in the West Coast, including Wells Fargo and others. Mm -hmm. And in, in that capacity as a commercial lender, you know, you learn a lot about what makes a company tick. And you learn a lot about management styles and why people get into businesses, how they start businesses, who, who is successful and why and how other people 
always seemed to kind of kind of miss the target. So had a lot of experience with all kinds of companies in my banking career, which gave me a great start into starting Burt Capital, which is which is doing kind of the this the same financial analysis and in-depth cash and financial review of, of the companies we work with, but also gave me a real leg up in terms of analyzing management teams, how they work together, what works, what doesn't work, and some s- simple things sometimes that can be done to, to make all of them work better. How many companies have you worked with over those decades, would you guess? Oh, man. With Burt Capital, I mean. I, yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I used to say several, and then I said dozens, and it's, it's well over 100 companies in, uh, during my career. So lots and lots of companies in, in really all industry. Yeah, I, you know, I can't think of an industry we haven't, we haven't touched in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And, but, but what we love to do, or I guess our sweet spot is manufacturing, you know, supply chain management, inventory management, building something, making something, adding value, hiring, you know, keeping people employed, hiring people, keeping them employed and and building a team that is sustainable uh, not only now but in the future. Well, I know your your firm is extraordinarily well known for its crisis management turnaround work, but but let's come back to that in a minute and let's talk about capital structuring and cash management as a fundamental component of successful businesses. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about your, co- uh, you know, uh, <laughs> fumbling here, your capital structuring, cash management kind of experiences and what some of the issues you often see arise in startups or middle market companies that you have to help them with? Sure, Jim. Let's start with cash. And this, this always takes me back to my uh, graduate school days when my uh, professor, who was an, a, a practicing CPA in Northern California, said, you know, many businesses just manage themselves based on cash. But when you get bigger and sophisticated, you use financial statements and accrual accounting and all this fancy stuff to know where you really are, because that gives you so much of a better picture. And uh, I had an issue with that then. I have an issue with that now. I still think at the end of the day, it's all about cash. It's generating cash, building cash. And at the end of the day, most people, most entrepreneurs want to cash out. So for me, I never got past the cash, something that's easy to understand, but hard to measure. And a lot of people just don't focus on it. So it, and I got to tell you, it can be as easy as monitoring a company's monthly cash in versus cash out with no financial shenanigans, just seeing if you're generating positive cash flow. And you'd be surprised sometimes how people don't do that. It's not hard to do, but you can come away with assumptions and conclusions that are very unexpected. So that is uh, a, a very simple building block of building a strong business is making sure it's generating positive cash flow. And a corollary to that is we've seen a lot of companies that are profitable on the books and growing, which you think would be two good things you'd want to have, but they actually run out of money. So this can happen a lot of different ways. But one way is if you build up too much inventory, too much receivables, if you're um, 
working capital cycle is too long or if you don't negotiate with your vendors properly. So a lot of things can contribute to it, but people can be surprised and run out of cash when they think everything is going well. And that, that's and that's not good. And that kind of gets us to capital, which was your other question. Mm-hmm. So a lot of businesses fail because they don't have adequate capital. So, so it's, you know, that's something we've all heard before, but what do you do about it? And the first thing you do is measure uh, how much capital a company needs in order to meet its growth forecast. So there are scientific ways to look at a business, look at its financial requirements and project cash needs and capital requirements before you launch a new product, a new initiative, a new growth strategy, a new market and things like that. Uh, You just want to make sure you don't run out of money when you really need it. And then of course, going on from there, if you need more capital, that's an area we can help as well. We have lots of different sources of traditional capital and non-traditional capital. Traditional being banks, finance companies, you know, businesses we're all familiar with. Non-traditional can be private investors, family businesses. It can be uh, working with a key supplier to get extended terms. You know, a lot of different creative ways to mitigate a company's cash requirements in anticipation of sales growth or a new market or those things we talked about. Yeah. How do you, you know, for a entrepreneur, let's say he's running a, a relatively small or middle market company, uh, he doesn't come out of the banking world, so he doesn't have the benefit of your experience. But he realizes uh, in the in somewhere intuitively that he's running into some cash issues or some capital issues. How do you help them uh, go for the best deals uh, in capital? What what do you do? You must have a lot of contacts in those worlds in order to pick and choose the best options. Yeah, we always start with a plan. So I need to satisfy myself that whatever whatever the plan is, it's going to make the company in better shape than than it is currently. And you have to come up with a plan that works and makes sense and has the outcome you expect. And then you've got to be able to translate that. So you've got to, which is two parts. One is you have to have a financial plan that makes sense. And the second is you've got to be able to write it down in a coherent way. And um, so that a lender would understand and kind of buy in. Yeah. And of course, that's something Uh, That's something you do as a banker is you do the financial analysis and then you have to do the translation. And, uh, and that's, that's developed into a capital raising mentality that allows us to go in and look at a business and, and, and come up with the story, figure out what the markets are and make sure that it's been thoroughly vetted and then make sure that the story and the cash forecast tie together. So, so after you've done, your own assessment to determine, yep, there's a capital need. Yep. The cash management is pretty well controlled. And you start to develop a pitch, let's say to bankers or lenders for debt. How long does the process typically take? Uh, You know, for capital raise. So I am smiling now when you say that, because I'm thinking about uh, different scenarios. We have 
private investors who love the business that we're in and want to get involved in more capital investment for private companies in Northern California or Southern California mm-hmm. and places we frequent. And it can, it can be as quick as a week. I don't want to overpromise here, but we have done deals in that kind of time frame. But more realistically, it, you know, you should plan on six months. And that may sound like it would exclude some companies from qualifying if you're going to run out of money in 30 days. But it's always good to start the process. And the process would be, you know, do the financial forecast, come up with a story, work on the pitch. And in the process of doing that, sometimes things fall out that are unexpected that lead us to other places for capital that we didn't anticipate going in. Mm-hmm. And, and there are many times we've gone into a situation where the entrepreneur thought, gee, all I need here is more capital. When really, that when you take it apart and dive in and look at the business, that is not what they need. What they, you know, they're spending too much money on things that are unprofitable or don't make sense. And sometimes instead of growth, what they need to do is to pair back. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but if a business has got a lot of money invested in unprofitable areas, the last thing you want to do is is raise more money and pursue more unprofitable areas. So you want to you want to really look at the business carefully and understand it before you go before you start the process. Yeah, fascinating. Now, now Burke Capital, known for its extraordinary work in crisis and turnarounds. How often do you do general advisory work for uh, companies that aren't in crisis? And uh, do they call you for these kinds of services and, and uh, recognize the benefits before they give you a call? Or, or does that rarely happen? Yeah, it's, it's funny. That's a great question. And it kind of it gravitated where originally our business was a lot of bank consultancy. So working with companies that had that gotten sideways with the bank for one reason or another. Yeah. And that turned into a turnaround practice, which was working with companies that have severe financial problems. But in the course of doing that, you know, we've had a lot of experience working with management teams and governance. And then people hear about us and they hear that we're good for business and we've helped this company and helped that company. And the next thing you know, we get a call from a related party. It might be the accounting firm or it might be a supplier or or someone that heard about what we did. And, and we get invited in to look at situations that maybe they're not in financial crisis, but, but something is not working the way management thought it would. And I, I can think of a big uh, electrical contractor that uh, we worked on a number of years ago. And in that case, they needed some fine tuning of their business systems. Uh, They needed better uh, management communication. They needed to understand the markets they were in. They needed to understand whether all the expansion plans they had in mind made sense. And we were able to come in and kind of ride on the shoulders of the management team for a couple of weeks really get to know the business, get to know how the business worked. And we came up with a, you know, a laundry list of 
of ideas that were implemented. And we made that company a much bigger player in the electrical contracting industry. You know, I could envision boards of directors and CEOs looking to you or your, you know, your business, Jim, and say, you know, we'd just like to have sort of a quick financial checkup. We'd like you to come in and look at our cash. We'd like you to not to, you know, look over the shoulder of the CFO or the accounting director, or whatever, but to to just give a checkup from your view to see how we might uh, re-engineer or rethink our capital, our cash, and our our uh, financials. How often does that happen? What percentage of your time with your clients? Is that 5%? Do you get that 10% of the time? So I would put that on the smaller side. And yeah. The, the, the joke I tell myself is that for some reason, f- business owners and entrepreneurs have a tough time asking for help. And so, particularly in the turnaround business, when a company is having obvious financial problems and, thing, and they're in jeopardy and the bank may have called the loan and the company is running out of time, I mean, even then, even under that kind of pressure, we've seen people very reluctant to pick up the phone and ask for help. And uh, so, the, so the joke, none of that is a joke, by the way. The joke is that no one ever hires us because they wanted to. Um, they hire us because they have to. And, and conversely, but to answer your question, really, I mean, we're available to do that. And we have done that. Sometimes people do call us just for a tune-up to say, come in, look at my business, tell me what's wrong. And let's work on ways to, to make it better. Yeah, we're, we're happy to do that. That is a little rare. Uh, what is more common is someone calls and it's so even in this day of age with Zoom and email and texting, so much of our business comes through the telephone. And it's usually a Thursday or Friday afternoon around the close of business. We get a call and I can tell from the desperation and the voice on the other end of the line, that this is going to be a project. And it usually starts with, I got a problem. I don't know what to do. I need help. Can you help? And, and the answer is always yes. It's just a matter of you know, what, what's required and, and doing an assessment and trying to figure out what the problem is. But I've had, I get that call you know, several times a year. And I have to treat it very carefully because I have no idea what kind of uh, mental condition the person on the other end of the phone is. But we get talking. I learn, I can learn more about a business sometimes in an hour on the phone than maybe anyone else has ever heard about that company. And uh, it it is amazing to me how much people will tell me over the phone when we've never even met. But just uh, once I say I'm here to help, then sometimes the flood gets unleashed and I will hear some of the uh, wildest stories in business you can imagine. Well, I imagine that's all thanks to your credibility, Jim, and your firm's credibility that, you know, when they find the strength to pick up the phone and call and say, I need help, they are opening themselves by definition to, uh, okay, I realize I'm going to have to help you help me, but uh, it is a great compliment. And I I know that does happen where they just, the floodgates open and you get all kinds of information. So let's talk a little bit about 
turnarounds, crisis management, and, and you've given us a little bit of how they start. But could you walk us through uh, what one might look like? Uh, and even if you have an example of one you can think of, you know, what is an out-of-court bankruptcy and how is it value to the clients and how do you approach it if it's necessary or even determine that it is? Uh, walk us through one, if you will. So the best way to describe a turnaround is to, is to talk about what condition the company is in when they make that when they finally make that desperate call, and they're you're usually characterized by financial losses, triggering bank covenants. Maybe the bank has written an angry letter or pulled the plug. Uh, you've got supplier issues. Suppliers have been late, chronically late. Maybe they've been lied to or, or been promised payments that weren't made. So there's been a, a loss of credibility for the mm-hmm. management team. And then that, that kind of rolls into employee morale is suffering. Sometimes the company has missed paychecks to its employees. So that affects morale right. and, and on and on. So it can be, and I'm not even, I'm not even touching on some of the really ugly stuff we see that can, and, and, and naturally anything like that is going to create stress for the people responsible. Right. And, and they can take that stress home and have, un, you know, it, they bring it home to their families. They have, you know, divorces. To tell you the truth, Jim, I've had, I've had a couple of clients die uh, in the process. Oh my and, gosh. and I've actually had two clients end up in jail so I have a pretty good idea of what not to do. And sometimes, you know, the most important thing is just do everything you can to diffuse the situation and relief, relieve the stress. Because at the end of the day, it's a business, it's only money. And I say that sort of half in jest because it's, there's no financial difficulty that we can't see a, a solution for. That's not the hard part. The hard part is getting the business owner to agree on a remedial strategy that may even make them even more uncomfortable than they already are, which basically requires things like telling the truth, admitting there's a problem, asking for help, and doing all these things that all of us are so uncomfortable doing when we've gotten into hot water. So the so again the, the fin- on the financial side of things in terms of fixing the business problems there are some tried and true ways that we use to to essentially call a timeout allow the business to regroup get the banks and the suppliers to work with you to, to back off, give the company time. If we can see a path to financial viability, we just need time to get there. We ask for that time. We're always given time because the alternatives are, are much worse for everybody. And then that gives us the ability to go in and, and come up with a path to positive cash flow that, that can involve restructuring the business. It can involve uh, cost reductions, but it can also involve simple things like selling the corporate jet or getting rid of the yachts and the, and the toys and that kind of a stuff. 
mm-hmm. because sometimes people just get off track. So there are lots of different elements to the financial part of the turnaround, but it's basically uh, finding out what works, getting, getting rid of what doesn't work, generating positive cash flow, and then coming back to your creditors once you know where you're headed and, and coming back with a payment plan. Which Jim, how often when, when you describe this and I'm hearing, okay, first I think of you as a, the bomb squad, you come in and defuse the bomb that could go off at any second. <laughs> uh, and, and then you take a step back and you ask for time to come up with a solution. How often are you the guy uh, or your team, the guys that make the calls to the creditors and the banks uh, instead of the CEO or the head of finance? How often do you have to fill that role for credibility? Well, let's see. We, yeah, that it can be a fine dance. On one hand, we want to protect the the business owner at this point because, mm-hmm. and by that, I mean a couple of things. One is the 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 man or woman is already under tremendous amount of stress and and it's very embarrassing to go to the bank or go to the creditors and and admit things things are a kilter so we will use that selectively we we can be effective just because we're a, a innocent third party with no axe mm-hmm. to grind and and we and we often know the bankers so we can go to the bank and we can have a private conversation about the business and about its prospects and we have instant credibility and it, it is important to involve the owner and the management team in the process but we we manage that carefully and we have to wait until they are ready to do so because everyone's tendency and, it, and when things are not going well everyone's tendency is to say oh don't worry I'll fix it you can trust me but this is a person who has no trust and, and has no credibility. And we may not be able to fix it. I mean, really what you need to do is to stand up and say, hey, things are horrible <laughs> and, it, and it might not work. And you need to give us time to figure out a plan. And the, and the alternative is, is going to be even worse. So you dis- you, dissolve the company, in other words, right? Yeah, you, ha- you have to, uh, to give, her, give them a glimmer of hope, but, uh, but threaten you know, something much worse. And it's, it's a, a little bit of gamesmanship, but it, but you're being true and, and honest. And it's part of regaining credibility is to be honest and to tell people like it is. So when the, uh, when we feel that the entrepreneur is ready to face the audience and has got the, it can, it can, you know, sort of read the script that we give them, that we'll bring them out because I think that's very imp- an important part of the process. And, and sometimes early on, you need to figure out whether this entrepreneur is going to make it or not. Sometimes it's clear they don't want to be there. They don't want to fix the company. That you know they they want to get up. out. Yeah, they want they're gone. They've mm-hmm. checked out. They don't want any part of it, and they want they want to go away to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that how you earn interim leadership positions 
you know, somebody says, I just don't want to do it. And you say, okay. Or the board asks you to come in and serve as the interim CFO or CEO or something. Is that how that happens? Well, yeah, there's in the case where the, the person's just plain absent, uh, we'll get appointed in an interim position, but, but also early on in the process, after we've, uh, talked to the CEO for a week or so, I mean, so this is still early days in an engagement. I always make a point of, of taking the person off campus and it, you know, maybe a restaurant or just some neutral ground and asking the question, uh, if, if we fix this business and get it back running again, what would you see your role? And I have heard some of the most surprising answers to that question, which, and you always think, you know, the answer. So and there's been a couple of times I haven't asked that question, and I was shocked later to find out that uh, that I did not know the answer. But uh, but I've had people say, "Yeah, I don't want to be here. I would rather be, uh, you know, swimming with dolphins or hiking in the Himalayas or mm, climbing else. trees and looking at birds." You know, so sometimes they they just they're done. Uh, One more so question on on. On turnarounds for you, Jim, how long or is there an average? How much time does it take if the company is on the brink of you know, crisis, bankruptcy, whatever? How long does it typically take to, to develop the plan, to work the plan, to build credibility, to extend payments with creditors and suppliers, et cetera? Is that, is that a five-year project? Is that a you know, six-month project? Is there any averages there? Yeah, the, the average, I would say, is kind of nine months to two years. And, and when you think about what you, the way you just asked that question, so, so we can often see the solution in the first few weeks of the engagement. But mm -hmm. what has to happen is you've got to buy time. You have to regain credibility. You have to put the plan in place. You have to show results. So the process of pulling everyone together and having a meeting, you know, just think of how long that would, I mean, that, that takes yeah. th three weeks just to hold a meeting. And, uh, and it's, and, and maybe the, maybe the zoom has helped, but I still think it's good to have a face-to-face -face meeting of creditors as scary as that may sound. There are a lot of dynamics that happen when people are in a room together that may not happen other ways. So, so that's, so that's part of the solution is to get people together get them from an adversarial position to a open-minded position and then eventually a helpful position. And, uh, and all this takes time because you're dealing with people who are, who haven't gotten paid and they've been lied to and they're angry. Yeah. So it's just a process that takes a while to get through. There's, it's not an easy solution. You know, it, I know we're running short on time here. Just, just one more question for you. As we're talking about all these things and creditors and bankers and cash management and all these things, it, it sort of reminds me, which I'm sure you'll endorse, of the need to create a very positive relationship with your lenders, your bankers. And I'm always amazed how few of the uh, middle market entrepreneurial, you know, startup uh, CEOs sometimes don't spend the adequate amount of time on that. Can you give us any insights on the importance of it and how one would go about creating a great banking relationship to avoid the kinds of crisis management issues that we've been talking about here? 
Yeah, you know, what's difficult about that question is there are, you try to develop a relationship, a personal one-on-one relationship with your banker. And there are some banks that are very good at doing that. And, and there's a lot of um, continuity in the, in the lending staff and, and you can develop a relationship over time. And I can think of some great bankers that have great relationships with their customers but then working against that, you have you know banks going out of business, banks getting acquired, uh, management teams changing, mm-hmm. and uh, turnover in the lending department and that sort of stuff. So, so that's working against you. The other thing that kind of works against you is you can have a great relationship with your loan team, which I think is a very important relationship to have. But then when things go sideways, you know, you get shipped off to the workout group. And so that's a whole bunch of new folks. And and they discourage you from communicating with your your great contact, you know, old, old Joe on the uh, on the commercial line that you used to go to lunch and play golf with. So so even though you may have a great warm and fuzzy relationship, everything is everything is new when you're in the workout group. And these people don't even have an expense account. They don't want to get to know you. They just want to get repaid. So, so that's, that's an example where in this, in the turnaround business, a lot of rules change for businesses and things that may have worked in the past don't work or work against you when you're having financial problems. So I hope that answered your question. I mean, it is. Yeah, so important. basically I'm hearing, you know, build, if you can, a relationship with your team that manages your account. But don't be surprised if things go south that you could end up with another group that will be less relationship oriented. I think that the message that I've learned over the years, too, is that candor, honesty and over communication with your banker is never a bad idea. It's always a great idea. Just keep them informed. Yeah. The good, you know, don't just give them good news. Give them factual news. And if it is not good news, give them your plan. And then perform against that plan. It comes back to the whole issue of credibility. You know, Jim, I I really, really want to thank you for the time you've given us today. My goodness, there are so many fascinating topics we touched on that most CEOs of middle market or or startup early stage companies haven't really experienced. And so I really appreciate so much your sharing your wisdom around it. And I want to encourage our audience, if any of you would like to explore capital structuring, crisis management, turnarounds, or governance, which we didn't really even touch on today. Maybe we'll do that in another podcast. If you'd like to touch on those topics with Jim, uh, you may reach him via email at uh, advisor at c-suite.co. That's advisor at c-suite.co. Or by calling our number directly at 480-840-7055. You know, Jim, it's been super informative. I thank you. And I look forward to uh, to working together with you in C-Suite and other projects that you're working on. So thanks so much. Great, Jim. Thank you. C-Suite Advisors, where CEOs tap into unbiased, deeply experienced wisdom, perspective, and credibility to accelerate their company's performance and growth. To discuss how C-Suite Advisors may help your business in a free 30-minute consultation, Contact us at advisor at c-suite.co or call for an appointment at 480-840-7055.
thank you for listening to Into the C-Suite with Jim Casino. Click the following button below to be notified as new episodes become available.